In this interview, it is my pleasure to be interviewing Chella, who is a foodie born in New Orleans to Mexican parents who has lost 100 pounds using the ketogenic diet in combination with VSG weight loss surgery. She has always enjoyed group exercise classes and recently competed in a half Ironman using the ketogenic diet or an Ironman 70.3. So she works in data analysis and considers exploring data, patterns and trends to be a favorite career endeavor. She also loves to travel and learn about foreign culture, including unusual foods and discovering new and surprising flavors. At home, she experiments with cooking and baking, even though her husband does not follow a low-carb diet. And though she's never been to Australia, she hopes to rectify this soon. Meanwhile, she has enjoyed uh, kangaroo burgers and jerky. Uh, So in this interview, we sort of go from where she started with the ketogenic diet and what it looks like now when she's competing in these, you know, Ironmans. Uh, So if I ever do an Ironman or a triathlon of some sort, I'm definitely going to contact Chella and get her expertise on swimming because I'm definitely not a swimmer. So please enjoy this interview. So please welcome to the... An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. Podcast Chella from Foodie Turn Sleevey on Instagram and YouTube. Welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm super stoked. Um, firstly, because you've just recently finished an Ironman triathlon, um, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, hold your horses, everyone who's listening. <laughs> I'm really excited, uh, and uh, and I'm sure you're really excited to talk about it as well. Because I I remember when I finished the marathon, I was like, "Ooh, how can I talk about this? I'm I'm just going to create videos about it." And yes, <laughs> I'm so glad you did. I watched all of them. <laughs> and uh, and okay, so. At the very start of the podcast, I usually ask um, people something that, you know, maybe they may not know about or, um, you know, something that's kind of interesting. And so yours is really interesting, actually. You're a classically trained singer and you sang the national anthem for the Braves. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. I always loved to sing and I started taking voice lessons when I was maybe eight years old or so. And... I was part of many choirs, and in that particular um, trip, my choir was traveling to New York. Uh, We were going to sing at Carnegie Hall, which we did. It was an incredible experience. But along the way, um, we 
I stopped. I was traveling with my parents. I had been invited to sing the national anthem at a Braves game. So that was a lot of fun. Obviously, you grew up singing the national anthem. Everybody knows it. But to be the one selected, especially for the Atlanta Braves, was really, really cool. My mom has tons of pictures of like my face on the big screen. And just to hear everybody cheering, it was just it was an incredible experience. Oh, man, that sounds so exciting. I've always uh, thought about the, you know, the people who sing in front of those big crowds and big audiences. Did you have like uh, inner ear or did you have something that um, you could hear yourself singing or was it just dead silent on the field and everyone around you just finishes and cheers? Like, what is that experience like? Yeah, so I really couldn't hear myself at all. I was in front of a microphone, but um, I had a, an earpiece in and I did have like a, a click track. Um but I couldn't hear myself at all. And that's really kind of strange, like singing into a vacuum somehow, which is the opposite of what is helpful. You know, I think people like <laughs> yeah. to sing in the shower because you get all that echo, but this is like the opposite of that. So it's, you just have to trust your instincts and go with it. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm really excited about this podcast. So you're a classically trained singer. I'm a, I'm a jazz trained bassist. Well, not, not fully trained, <laughs> but um, I, I, and you're from New Orleans and uh and so when you said that before i was like oh my gosh we've got some some musicians here yes. <laughs> in the ketogenic community this is fantastic um so i've got some questions a little bit later on uh we'll dig into uh, the music side of things because uh, i always like to ask people but it's it's nice to know that we have uh, some some actual musicians here which is fantastic yeah. <laughs> um so how did you get into the ketogenic diet and what was what was your journey through, um, uh, you know, finding the ketogenic diet and before that? And then what does that sort of look like for you now? Yeah, so I grew up relatively overweight. I think I was always the chubby kid in school, not super morbidly obese, but I felt like I was. I was always the chubbiest kid in any crowd by far, it felt like. And um, I tried every diet under the sun from a very early age. My mom was on Weight Watchers when I was growing up, and my dad was diabetic. So um, it was very much a Weight Watchers kind of household where everything was like the fat-free products and um, the sugar-free products. But in hindsight, I think we didn't really know too much about I mean, we, my family, not that the science didn't exist, um, but we weren't very well educated in how to properly address the diabetes that my dad had, because I remember he used to put away some of those Russell Stover's candies that are full of maltitol, like things I would mm -hmm. never eat now. And um, of course, he was advised to remove rice and white pasta, but he was still eating brown rice and whole wheat pasta and things like that. So um, I, I came from a very like, whole wheat, low fat <laughs> kind mm. of household. And uh, my weight would fluctuate up and down. I did also do um, Sugar Busters, Jenny Craig, Plexus Slim, um, Zone Perfect, so many of the kind of fad diets throughout my life. And I would do them for a few months, lose some weight, but it always felt like I was kind of suffering through these diets. And mm. on some level, I felt like I had proven to myself I can lose weight if I want to, I just don't want to, because it's a miserable thing, and <laughs> why would anyone want to torture themselves that way? <laughs> and I think my biggest change that has come about now as to why I think my lifestyle is different now is that I never looked at it 
from a health approach before. I used to stick to meal plans just to lose weight and that's it. And what's different about it now is that I've actually spent time learning about my health and my body and what physically happens when I eat this thing or that thing. And now it's like a food body interaction mentality. And I come from it with like a health mindset instead of a weight loss mindset. And so it doesn't even feel like I'm suffering through a diet. It's like exciting to know that I'm eating well and and I feel good about that. So so that's what's different. Um, Oh, but about how I came to keto, sorry. So uh, on and off with my weight throughout the years, but over time it increased and increased. And I think what was kind of the catalyst was uh, in 2004, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and uh, he passed away in 2005. I was 18. And, um, you know, pancreatic cancer, there's not a known cause for it, but obviously diabetes for many years (laughs) certainly affects the pancreas. And, um, that really impacted my life. I mean, in the, in the six months that he was ill, I gained over 50 pounds and it, it was very hard to come back from that. And then I was diagnosed as diabetic when I was 29. And that was, that's, that's the moment my life really changed because I knew with my dad's history of diabetes, I would be genetically predisposed to it. But I always thought, oh, type 2 diabetes, you get that when you're older, maybe in my 60s or 70s, I'll have to think about it. But I was 29 and more than 100 pounds overweight at that point. And I had seen my dad pass away and how that affected my mom and me and just everything and how that life didn't have to be cut short. And I did not want to do that myself obviously and do that to my husband and my family around me so at that point I decided to um, have weight loss surgery I uh, had the vertical sleeve gastrectomy in October of 2016 so almost two years ago and in preparation for the surgery there was a six-month supervised diet I worked with an endocrinologist because of my diabetes diagnosis and they put me on a low-carb diet initially and the low-carb diet was 100 grams of carbs or less which coming from a standard American diet was a pretty radical change for me. And then after surgery, most surgeons recommend you stick with low carb, but high protein kind of indefinitely, at least for the first year. And after the first year, they kind of turn you loose to do whatever you like. So um, at the beginning, I was tiptoeing kind of into lower and lower carb. So first like 100 grams or less, then like 50 to 70, then like 30 to 50, all over the course of these last two years. And now I'm finally in the neighborhood of like 10 to 25 carbs per day. And that's where I find I feel really, really good. So while I know a lot of people recommend just diving headfirst into the keto thing, for me, it really worked to kind of tiptoe in and slowly over months and years, kind of reduce the number of carbs I was intaking to really find the sweet spot for myself. Wow, that's that's uh, that's such a turnaround, um, and uh, and I'm really ho- uh, really sorry to hear about your dad as well. Um, I'm sure he'd be really proud of what you've done now. You've lost over a hundred pounds Thank using you. using all of these strategies, and um, and now you're you know you're competing in in triathlons. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> uh, like yeah. it, with um, with that mindset that you had prior to and and, and now, um, <clears throat> what was the what was the shift in mindset that you said? okay, I'm going to start whittling down the carbs uh, and, and, and really trying to get uh, into, you know, maybe what's called keto now. Um, 
you know, why, why did you make that change? And then uh, what, what were the, what, what is the 100 carbs and the 50 to 70 grams of carbs and, and the, you know, a little bit lower? What does that sort of look like? And then now what does your daily um, ketogenic diet look like? Sure. So um, the reason I decided to kind of keep going with the lower carb was, like I said, I started really doing a lot of research about scientifically, physically, what's happening to my body when I eat bread, when I eat meat, when I eat XYZ, and realizing that if my genetic predisposition is to diabetes, I was already diagnosed at that point, you know, maybe it's not for everybody, but it certainly seems to be working for me to control my my blood sugar. So initially, I was testing my my blood sugar every day. And um, after the weight loss surgery, um, like I said, the surgeon recommends staying under 100 grams of carbs and and that's about it. So, and everybody's surgeon's different. Some surgeons have different plans, but that's what mine said. And so I stuck to that, but I decided to kind of push it a little further and push it a little further just to see how my body would react. Hmm. And the lower I went with the carbs, the more energized I felt, which is a really strange thing because I didn't feel lethargic before. Um, It's hard to explain. I mean, to someone who hasn't done keto, it's hard to say, oh, you feel this energy boost because it doesn't, it's, as you know, it's not like just drinking a Red Bull and now you're like bouncing off the walls, (laughs) but this like (laughs) energy that comes from keto, it's just like this sustained high energy. And I just found myself feeling so good as the carbs continued to come down. And, um, when you're feeling so good, it's really good incentive and motivation to keep going. Like I started to make that correlation of how I'm physically feeling is related to the food I'm eating. And that was a big shift for me too, because I think with diets previously, I didn't even know that food could make me feel ways, you know, I enjoyed eating food and that was separate from the way I physically felt. But once I made the correlation that eating these foods made me feel bloated or lethargic or eating these other foods make me feel really lean and energized and just ready to go in the gym. I love that feeling. And so it's easy to stay on track when you know it, it, it makes you feel that way. Mm, yeah, that's that's uh, it's really important to understand the difference between those two fuel types as well. You know, um, the I always think about the ketogenic diet as the coal train that's just steaming ahead with full torque, and you know, it's just got a lot of power behind it. And then carbohydrates are sort of that jet fuel, and so yeah, you burn through them so quickly, but then you're you're left mid air, and you're just gonna crash land, and you know, it's right, very hard exactly. to get back up from that. Um, and yeah, I totally know what you mean with the the whole sustained energy, but um, you've really taken it to the next level uh, by by incorporating a lot of uh, endurance exercise and training into that as well. Can you sort of tell us about what made you want to start a triathlon and what made you push that to the Ironman distance? <laughs> sure. Um, so from the moment I was diagnosed, I knew I needed to lose 100 pounds to be in the healthy BMI range. And so that was always my goal was to just be, and you know, I know there are differing opinions about BMI, but in terms of charts and prescriptions and insurance plans, (laughs) unfortunately, the healthy BMI range is, is what we set our sights on. So for me, my goal was at 100 pound weight loss. And from the very beginning, I said, when I lose those 100 pounds, I'm going to reward myself by doing a triathlon. Hmm. 
um, because it sounded like the craziest thing I could possibly imagine. <laughs> um, I wanted to choose something really wild and reward myself by by spending my time and my money on it. So I didn't know anything about triathlons. Like I barely knew what three sports were included and that was it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I later discovered that one of my coworkers had done an Ironman and she told me the full distances. So uh, for the full Ironman, it's a uh, uh, 2.6 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a full marathon run at the end. And I was like, I'm oh sorry, you gosh. did what now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe it. And she was like, well, there's also a half distance. And I said, yes, that's what I want. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I later learned that there are even shorter ones called sprint triathlons and Olympic distance triathlons. But at the time, I didn't know that. So I signed up for a half <laughs> Ironman. <laughs> so it's, it's a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike ride, and then a half marathon run. So 13 miles. And, um, and I signed up for it and about a year before the actual event. So, well, about nine months. So I reached that 100 pounds down in December of 2017. And uh, in January, I started training. And the race was just last week, so uh, in September. So I gave myself a full nine months to prepare. And I needed it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm very much not a runner. So initially, I did a 12-week uh, running plan, a half marathon running plan, and then I, I took a couple months off and just did some cardio weightlifting, kind of just took a break, and then I did a 16-week half marathon training plan, so with the swimming and the biking and everything all together. Right, okay, okay. So um, yeah, going back to what you said before, you know, spending money on, uh, on doing something as crazy as this, it sort of seems counterintuitive, but a lot of the times it's like you've, you've spent the money and now you need to actually go and do it. <clears throat> and so it's like yeah. the motivation behind, uh, it, it, it fuels like this, this whole thing of just getting up early in the mornings, having a reason to actually go out and train and run and, and beat yourself up almost every single day. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really rewarding. And, um, and yeah, that, that sort of mindset for a lot of people can be like, like, why would you go and pay to do an event? You can go and run a half marathon <laughs> yourself. And you're like, oh, right. you just, you, it's like there's something that you get from actually doing an event and going and, you know, participating and doing these types of things that really fuels a fire. And um, and it's interesting that you did the, uh, the, the running first and then you sort of like combined the all of them together afterwards. Was that, was that the case or was that yes. just the training for that? Yeah, yeah. So I separately did the the half marathon run plan first because I actually when I was a kid I, I used to swim on swim team I was a competitive swimmer um, from when I was eight until uh, until I went to college so for about 10 years I swam competitively and that's like the only sport I've ever loved so I knew the swimming would be okay like in there in the back of my brain somewhere um, and cycling I foolishly thought like oh yeah I know how to ride a bike I'll be fine <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, but the running, I have on and off throughout the years tried to run and just never been good at it. I've never enjoyed it. It's never been fun for me. So I knew that's what I had to spend most of my energy on initially. So I did uh, a 12-week half marathon run plan at the beginning of the year. And, uh, and that in and of itself was very rewarding, even though I didn't actually do a race. It was just mentally there's something so powerful about knowing that you can do this that it has been done and mm. now you just have to do it again um <laughs> as my distances would increase throughout that training plan 
I would dread, oh gosh, tomorrow I have to do five miles. And I've, <laughs> but then you think like, oh, but I've done four and that wasn't so bad. So I only have to do one more. And, um, and just sort of slowly increasing that it's, it's so true that these things are so mental because physically your body, I mean, I came around to thinking like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm not going to fall and die on the treadmill. Okay. Like <laughs> I'm not actually going to collapse here. So I just have to keep going. Even if it's a little uncomfortable, even if it's not fun, I'm going to be fine. And it's really only five miles or eight miles or 10, you know, and as you progress, you realize, Oh, I've done that before. I could do it again. And so I'm really glad I did the running first because that was definitely the most difficult. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Keto Diet. Have a think about this for a second. How long will it take you to reach your health goals? Is it four weeks? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Maybe you don't need to lose weight, but you're struggling with the whole lifestyle thing that everyone keeps talking about. Who is going to be around long enough or be committed enough to you to help you achieve your health goals? That answer is me. I created the Complete Keto Diet specifically to help 10,000 people achieve their health goals over the next five years. That means I'm there for you in the beginning, through the plateaus, and the maintenance of your journey towards better health. But why 10,000 people? Well, simply put, I want to bring you the most actionable and realistic ways to get your health right using the ketogenic diet. But I also want to make sure that everyone succeeds and nobody gets left behind. Your name is very important to me. So how does it all work? Well, this is done with a ketogenic meal plan that is sent to your inbox every single week. You might have seen some of my YouTube meal plan videos on creating simple ketogenic meal plans, which are getting very close now to a million views alone. The advantage of my meal plans over others is that you are given simple recipes with simple ingredients with a great variety of food. You won't be eating the same meal every day and best of all I include substitutions for dairy-free, nut-free and other types of allergens. Plus all of the ratios are calculated for you. You'll be saving money with shopping lists that only include the items that you actually need. Not only does it come with weekly meal plans, but we do a weekly coaching session with everyone so that you can get your answers solved right away. You also get exclusive tools and resources, exclusive deals on all your favorite keto-friendly products that will probably save you more money than you think, plus a community of people to help you always succeed and keep you accountable every single step of the way. Sustainability is the key to long-term success with the ketogenic diet. I am not here to help you drop as much weight as possible in a three-month period. I am here for life. If you think this is what you've been looking for, I offer a seven-day free trial for anyone who is looking to see if it's the right fit for them. I offer steep discounts for six-month and yearly memberships that include one-on-one sessions with me as well, so you'll always have the answers. Head on over to www.complete ketodiet.com and enter the code podcast to receive 15% off the membership. Oh, and did I mention that everything is in Australian dollars? Hurrah! Go to www.completeketodiet.com and enter the code podcast to start moving towards your health goals today.
of the three for me. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I have the exact same experience. Mind you, I've never swum before, <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't I don't know too much about the swimming aspect. But running for me was always like I, I came from cycling, and so f- for me, running was just a slower form of cycling, and um and 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 just more painful and just a little bit yeah. like you breathe heavier and everything. So um yeah, for for me, I I, I totally understand the whole. Um, like slowly increasing the kilometers just so you don't blow your brains out because right. there's there's so much mental capacity that goes into oh gosh I've got to run 18 kilometers or however many miles that is I don't know if I can do that but but what I found is that I'd I'd run with you know some other people from work mm-hmm. and I'd run with uh, just someone else and that sort of keeps your mind off that and as long as they're not like incredibly faster than you are then it's sort of <laughs> a little bit easier yeah. to, to handle um and uh i'd be interested to to know like um the the training that you did when you started combining the swimming and the running and the and the cycling mm-hmm. that can usually get pretty overwhelming um and and for a lot of people who do train for triathlons um i i, I just remember someone who was training for a full iron and so uh, i'm sorry you, you've done the the, the half iron man which is just as crazy yep. but there was someone who was training for a full and i was running the marathon and someone had ridden from brisbane down to the gold coast which is a hundred a hundred kilometers on their wow. bike ran the marathon and then rode home again just as training and oh. i was like okay these guys are nuts <laughs> guys wow <laughs> so so what was what was the training um like for you in the beginning and then um did it ramp up to, to getting a, a lot of hours in the week or what what did that sort of look like for you yes it was uh, very time consuming um, for four months it was six days a week so Mondays were my rest days and I, I very much looked forward to Mondays <laughs> um, <laughs> for the last four months but um, I followed a training plan a free one that I found online it was triathlete.com yep. And I just followed that to a T. And I'm really glad I didn't just try to figure things out on my own because this training plan, it was very simple in the way it was laid out, but it increased, uh, it was three weeks of increase and then one week of uh, like a recovery week where my distances were a little bit shorter. And then three weeks up, one week down. So that was the 16 week um, uh, in total. And I'm really glad I I followed that because even things like having a recovery week, which not coming, you know, I I had never trained for an endurance sport of any kind. So that seems kind of counterintuitive. I would have probably just tried to always increase my distances, but having a recovery week built in was incredible because during those weeks, every single time I found that my speeds increased Mm -hmm. because my distances were shorter and I never would have known that that could happen if I didn't have that built into the plan. So the way the plan was laid out was um, two days a week. It was a bike ride based on time. So like 40, 50, 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Two days a week, it was a shorter swim and a shorter run. So the swims were started like 800 meters, increased to maybe 1400 meters. And then the runs started at four and five miles and increased to eight nine miles so two days a week the bike the shorter bike two days a week short swim and run and then saturdays were a long bike ride so 50 to 60 miles and then sundays were a long swim and a long bike ride so that's a lot (laughs) and then mondays were off yeah (laughs) how does it feel going from doing a long swim and then going and doing a long run as well on the same day 
Um, it, I really enjoy swimming. I have rediscovered my love for swimming. And so I actually looked forward to those days, even though I knew I had to do a long run. I loved it because I got to do a long swim. Um, So I was really glad that those were paired together because if I only had a long run, I probably would have dreaded those days a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. It's just uh, like, I, I, um, I cycled with a club for a long time, but before that I cycled by myself for a long time. And when I joined the club, I, I instantly found, um, that those long rides would get a lot easier because you'd have some people to talk to. Um, but Mm -hmm. how did you go on the long rides? Were you riding with anyone else or was it, uh, just something that you set out to do 60 kilometers, sorry, 60 miles and, um, and you just had to do it? Yeah. So for my shorter rides, actually, I was cycling with a group. Um, yeah, I work in a very, uh, corporate environment and there's a, a, a gym at my office yep. and uh, there's many trainers there and I happened to meet a trainer who she herself has done many many Ironmans and triathlons um, and when I told her I was doing this race actually the first question she asked me was do you have aero bars on your bike uh, yeah. and I said I don't have a bike <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. and she said okay I'm gonna lend you my bike she was incredibly helpful so she lent me a really fancy bike and um kind of because of me she started doing these group training rides um at around where i work so we would leave from the office and cycle around for an hour and come back and then other employees would join us as well so that was really nice because there were varied skill levels and experience levels there were other people who had done triathlons before and other novices as well so we kind of all learned and trained together even though we were kind of doing it for me oh that's so cool (laughs) did you learn all the hand signals that you do as a cyclist when you've got to like look out for potholes and you're turning left and right and those sorts of things yeah, that's a totally different dynamic too of like riding with people mm. as opposed to just riding out for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's uh yeah, it's so cool to 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 hear that because um, yeah, riding with a group is uh, I th- I think it's really awesome. And then uh, for me, you know, I've I've d- <laughs> done those really long rides, and you can really it really becomes a, a big head game to try and keep those miles going. There was a book that I read, um, How Bad Do You Want It? I think it's by Matt Fitzgerald, and he talks about how um, endurance activities are like. 90% mental um, and if you can yeah. figure out how to break through that mental cycle that you put yourself through you can actually go a lot harder and faster but um, uh, what did the race look like for you because you know you've done all this training and you've followed the training plan um, did you have any adjustments in the training plan because you were following a ketogenic diet and then what did that look like in the race yeah so the training plan actually did not address nutrition um, but my coach, this woman that, that worked at the gym, she wanted to talk about nutrition all the time. (laughs) And, um, when I told her that I lived a keto lifestyle and I really don't eat carbs, she just looked at me like I was stupid, (laughs) like (laughs) kind of the same face she gave me when I told her I didn't have a bike and was planning to do an Ironman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) she's like, no, 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 you don't. I mean, that might be fine, but when you're doing this kind of event, you need carbs. And I said, no, I I really don't think so. Um, but at the time I didn't really know of any other endurance athletes who did keto um but but she she went down this rabbit hole she pulled up all these youtube videos of people like collapsing on in the race and just like cramping and really bad effects of not 
fueling properly. Mm. And she was like, this can happen to you. You need to be taking in 100 calories of sugar every 20 minutes. You have to set your watch every 20 minutes. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die <laughs> Like if I take in that much sugar over an eight-hour race. That's insane. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so I, I told her, look, I'm going to find the information I need to find please continue helping me, but not with this. <laughs> like, can, we, can we just like agree to disagree? And she said, okay. So from that point onward, we just did not talk about nutrition, but I knew I still had to find the information, which is actually how I found your channel and your page. All right. I so, yeah. I, um, I started looking around for endurance athletes who did keto and I feel like there, you see a lot of keto weightlifters and bodybuilders, but not so many endurance athletes. And so I actually heard you on uh, the Keto Connect podcast. Mm. And while I was cycling, actually, I was listening to that podcast. And I was like, this is exactly what I need to know. <laughs> and so I went and watched all your videos. And I actually, um, I bought your uh, marathon training plan. Oh, awesome. And yeah, yeah. And I started listening to the guests that you had on your podcast. And that's how I found uh, AGG and Zach Bitter. And I just kind of followed all those little paths. But I found them all because of your channel. So I appreciate oh, that. Damn, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> that's, uh, it's so cool <laughs> to actually um, it, it, to, to know that that sort of stuff might be helping someone, which is just Absolutely. so fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the, the marathon training plan that I uh, put together, that was... Um, one that I'd, I'd followed pre-carb and also on, uh, sorry, no, pre-keto and also in the ketogenic state. Um, but I found that the, the one that I did pre-keto was that there was a lot of like of those really high intensity um, tempo runs and, 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 yeah. and it, it sort of doesn't work when you're doing keto to be really hitting that top gear the, uh, for a long time. Um, and, and so I sort of adjusted that a little bit. <laughs> so I hope that, I hope that was okay. Right. And what I found, right. What I found most useful from the information that, that you initially, that I initially found from your um, page was about, um, heart rate zones, mm. because that's something I had never really thought about. Um, and so I have just a Fitbit. I know a lot of people have fancier watches, Garmin's and all that, but I just have a Fitbit and it shows me my heart rate. And so, especially in the first half of my training, I was focusing solely on yeah. that to make sure I was in the right heart rate zones and eventually my distances increase like for the sorry I mean like if it was a 60 minute bike ride I would focus on the heart rate zone and eventually over the same amount of time I would go a further mm. distance because I was building that endurance but it was just such a different way to think about it about focusing on the heart rate zone and um, and I found that to be very helpful oh yeah it's it's like 100% more helpful than trying to focus on speed because you can be having a good right. day or a bad day and um, your speed will fluctuate and you know your your effort intensity it, it fluctuates as well but if you focus on heart rate if you're really stressed out one day and you really can't get that heart rate underneath then uh, like some of the days I just had to stop I was like well I think i've probably overtrained a little bit here so i'm just gonna have to stop um it yeah. was was there any point where uh you noticed that um, not only your distances were getting further but you could also start to train at a at, uh, at a higher perceived level with the same sort of heart rate yes absolutely um there were some days when i could tell I w my legs were just pumping really hard really fast or even i mean not just with the cycling but with the running too where running eventually became easier and 
I would look at my heart rate and I was still 145, 150. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it because I was running faster. And running was always so mental for me. That was something I really never thought I could do. And to just witness it happening was incredible. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. So so for anyone who's listening to the podcast and want to know about the heart rate zones, uh, we're talking about the Maffetone pace or the Maffetone heart rate zone. So basically it's 180 uh, minus your age. And so um, you sort of have to uh, account for a few other things if you've been taking medication or you've been sick more than a couple of times in the past year uh, then you sort of drop or add five beats per minute to that Uh, and then you try and sit in that zone and and train in that zone and for a lot of people uh, especially a lot of group cyclists who go out and just hammer every single day um, they they find that they're they're getting really really overtrained by training in a really high heart rate zone and so understanding mm-hmm. that um, you know doing those long events in that in that heart rate zone can be really frustrating at first but uh, at, at like after a while it becomes really easy and um, and also Mark Sisson uh, does a lot of um, you know training in that sort of style as well um but yeah all right so let's talk about the race (laughs) um i am super keen to know uh so i think the swim was first and then the and then the bike ride and then the run is that sort of how it works yes that's okay so so how did the race go (laughs) it was great so um it was an open water swim which i knew in advance but i'm almost exclusively trained in a pool and so that is very different (laughs) um it was very early in the morning and the weather was kind of cool and overcast and um it was in the bay off of the atlantic ocean so not actually in the ocean the water was kind of still relative to the ocean (laughs) but (laughs) not relative to a pool um (laughs) but it's three thousand people in this event and i thought they were kind of gonna go in waves but they had us line up in the order that we thought our swim time would be and i was um trending about 36 to 38 minutes in a pool so uh i went with a group that was 35 minutes i had been advised to go with a group slightly faster than me and everybody just started going you just walk into the pool and start into the into the bay and start swimming so there was no official like beep start time you know you just walk in and go um yeah but we had time chips on our ankles so that's what uh recorded our time i guess when we crossed a certain line but what's unnerving about it is that there's nothing to see so you have your goggles on but in a pool obviously you have a line in the bottom of the pool and in open water it's dirt (laughs) it's the earth (laughs) so yeah so there's nothing really to look at and that is really kind of terrifying because you really can't even tell how deep it is i mean not that that matters but it's like swimming with your eyes closed Mm. basically and that's really kind of scary also there's a lot of people around and that didn't bother me as much but sometimes you're swimming and because you can't see all of a sudden you're like in someone's armpit and you're like how did that happen like where did they come from um and to like just suddenly be so close to people and you didn't even see them approach is unnerving um and so in the first maybe quarter of it i was really kind of freaked out i couldn't see where i was going and my husband actually caught this on video i actually went off course um (laughs) 
<laughs> um, they had like buoys set up and lifeguards on the other side. And I actually ended up swimming around one of the lifeguards by accident. Um, <laughs> they had to like stop me and put me back on course. Um, <laughs> but then I just kind of calmed down and I said, okay, I'm, I just can't see. I'm just going to swim for a while and then pop up and check where I am and then keep going and then pop up and check. And I actually ended up finishing the swim in 39 minutes, so only like one minute slower than what I had been training in the oh, pool. So I was actually really, really happy yeah, about that. Even yeah. with some of the diversions, you've still been able to make <laughs> up the time, which is awesome. That's so good. Yeah. And then so the yeah. next was the uh, cycling? So next is yep. the bike. Yep, yep. So uh, there's a big transition area, and they had assigned uh, locations. So I went to my spot, and at this point, it had started to rain. Oh, and no. I, yeah, I had not really trained very much cycling outdoors in the rain. Um, during the four months, if it was raining, I would train indoors, just like on a stationary bike. Um, so that was my fault. <laughs> um, but I, you know, put my shoes on and my helmet and, uh, you just grab your bike and go. There was actually a, um, a mount line. So like after this line, you can get on your yep. bike. Um, and you know, I have the shoes with the clips, so I clipped in and, then the woman right in front of me stopped oh, no. short and I fell over <laughs> <laughs> in the transition before the bike had, before the like bike portion had really started. I fell over, um, like into the fence, into the crowd. Um, <laughs> but then I got up and I clipped back in and then the race started. Um, it was actually a, a loop that we were meant to do three times. So there was an aid station at the end of the loop. So we would pass it three times. Um, and, as I passed it the first time, I didn't stop. I was feeling really good. And this was actually a, a pretty flat course. So people were going super fast. Um, I actually maintained a little over 18 miles an hour um, throughout the first, like, two oh, loops. Wow, which, fast. Yeah, yeah. I was fast even for me because I had been training, like, 15 to 18. But um, for the first two hours of this, I was maintaining over 18. That's great. So that... It was so yeah. much fun. It was so much fun. There were so many people and everybody was kind of like encouraging each other. And, you know, if riding in a group at work with like five people was fun, riding with 3000 people was just <laughs> a blast. Oh, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then when I passed the aid station the second time, I did stop um, just to grab a drink because honestly, I'm not very good at like drinking from my bottle while I'm mm. cycling. I, I feel like I'm going to mm. fall over. So I did stop just for a few seconds to drink. Um, oh, and you had asked about race day nutrition. So I noticed most people are very diligent about their, their gels and their sugar packets and things like that. All I really relied on were um, in the morning before the race, I had a, a Stoka bar, which is essentially just nuts. Um, so I had some nuts and some nut butter with MCT oil yep. in the morning um, and then MCT oil in my coffee as well. And then in my water bottle that I had on my bike, I had a, um, an electrolyte mix, a yep. Zip Fizz, uh, with MCT oil powder ah, as well. Cool. So that's all I had during the race was <laughs> MCTs and yep. nuts, and that's yep. it. Um so I, and then I stopped the third time too, just to have more of a drink and, um, and I kept going, but when the third loop began, it started to pour, just like pouring rain, super like stinging on your face. It felt like hail. And I started seeing a lot of flat tires and I actually saw one really bad accident. And so, um, I definitely slowed down at that point. My third loop, I think I was doing like 16 miles an hour, but 
all in all, I finished the bike ride in three hours and 10 mm. minutes. And I was hoping for under four hours. So I was oh, wow. really, really happy. So with you totally, yeah. <laughs> totally crushed it. That's so good. <laughs> so, so in a triathlon, um, a lot of just normal cyclists don't understand this, but you can't actually draft uh, or you're not supposed to draft. But is that what you found in the, in the event or were people just doing whatever they wanted to? Yeah, so they had a rule, um, uh, no drafting, and you had to um, leave six bike lengths between you and the person mm. in front of you. But there were just so many people that was kind of mm, hard to yeah. do. Um, I wasn't ever intentionally very close to somebody, but eventually everybody ends up in like a single file line, yeah. kind of, unless you're passing. And so sometimes you're closer than six bike lengths, um, and it's kind of unavoidable. So they weren't really enforcing yeah. that rule. But um, it just happened. But what's what was also a lot of fun for me was that because you end up in the single file line, sometimes you realize it's moving a little bit slower than you want to. So you either stay in that position or you have to like power past yep. everybody. And there were multiple occasions on which I was like, yes, let's do it. And I would just like power past like 12 people to get to like the front of the clump. <laughs> and, uh, and that was just so exhilarating. I feel like I did that multiple times and I just, I felt so good. It was like this, it almost felt like this out of body experience. I was just like flying. It, yeah. it was great. It Especially was if you've got the aero bars on the front or, or if you're up and out and you're yeah. off the saddle and you're powering over a small hill or something and you get over the top and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like euphoric it yeah, really yeah. is and, and so so after that so the the bike ride sounded perfect and so you didn't get any flats or anything there were lots of people having accidents and stuff but you were just like powering through and then you went to the run is that right yes um so i was really glad i didn't get a flat because i'd only ever practiced changing one once yeah. so um <laughs> I, I might have had some trouble i actually had like instructions written on a piece of paper <laughs> um in my <laughs> in my little uh my little pack to read yeah. if that happened but it didn't happen oh, so i was good. really glad <laughs> um so yeah so then you get back you rack your bike you change your shoes and you go run um but because it was pouring rain all of my things mm. were wet i was i put on a t-shirt and i had laid that out but it was wet and my there was like puddles in my shoes it was just like soaking wet but you keep going and so um the first maybe two miles of the run were tough my legs definitely felt mm. heavy but after that i was i was just in the zone i mean i'm not a really fast runner i jog walk always um but for from like mile two to mile eight, I jogged the whole way. I was feeling great. Um, even though it was raining, even though it was super cold, there were just so many spectators and everybody mm. cheering you on. And one thing that was really motivating me was when really fit people would pass me because that meant I did better than them in the oh, swim and the bike. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was like, yeah. And they would pass me and I was just cheering for them. Like, you're doing great. I was just, it was, it was such a joyful experience. Um, and so I ran until about mile eight, then I got kind of tired, but not like physically exhausted. Just, I just needed a break. So I walked, um, until about mile 10, and then I was like, there's only three miles to go. So then I like gave it everything I had and I finished in six hours and 55 minutes. I was hoping for under seven. So I was looking at the time at that point. I was like, I got to <laughs> power through to be under seven hours. And, uh, and I finished and they have this like long, long red carpet at the end. And seriously, not until I was on the red carpet approaching the finish line, did I think like, 
I might actually do this. I might actually finish. I just, it was so hard to believe after such, uh, so many months of training that I was actually going to finish an Ironman. And I did. And it was just such an incredible oh, experience. That's so awesome. Congratulations on finishing because uh, I, I, I know what that feels like when you walk over the finish line and then you realize everything hurts. <laughs> it's like you've sort of blocked <laughs> that out of your brain right up until that point. And, uh, and to, to, yeah. to cross that and, and realize that you finished, uh, yeah, it's just such an incredible experience. Um, so uh, it sounds like, and you have such a good attitude about all of the things in the race too because a lot of people can get really frustrated with uh, anything that goes wrong or if there's rain or if it's going to slow them down whatever it is but but um, by the sounds of it you've got a really really good attitude for endurance sports so I think uh, I think you might might need to sign up for another one because it sounds sounds like pretty, <laughs> it sounds pretty fun <laughs> to me <laughs> it really it was so much fun yeah and i really yeah like you said just finishing because one thing that made me nervous at the beginning is that if you don't finish each event in a certain amount of time you're not allowed to move forward to oh. the next event so um that was my concern was that i might not even be allowed to start the run but i i did great on my times and the run was the slowest of the three for me but um the cutoff time was eight and a half hours and i finished in 655 so like i was really really proud of myself for yeah, accomplishing yeah, that that's yeah that's so awesome oh man i don't even know where to go next that was just such a great story <laughs> um i i uh Thanks. you know and you'll always look back on that experience and and realize that you trained for nine months and uh and went out to do that event and it's something that no one can ever take away from you and uh it yeah. how did it how did it feel um afterwards and and when you got home and and sort of the the uh you know the experiences sort of died down a little bit um what what were your thoughts when you were going back on the race and and the whole uh, the whole training experience as well were there were there anything that you you thought you may have done better but it didn't matter or was there anything that you learned along the way um as far as doing things differently or better in the future honestly i was really pleased with the with the training i did um I didn't, <laughs> one small thing, I didn't take any nut butters with me on the run, and I wish I had, because I did get a little mm. bit hungry. You know, what's interesting is that everybody else who's fueling on carbs has to take in their nutrition like every 20 to 30 minutes. All I had was nuts in the morning and a coffee, and then MCT during the bike. That's it. And when I finished the race, I wasn't even hungry. I mean, I had dinner that night just because we were out to dinner, but... I was not hungry and I think that being fat adapted is such is so liberating that I didn't have to carry all those things with me that I didn't have to look at which aid station had which things and it was I I could not recommend more highly to someone who's considering an endurance sport while on keto I, people are often worried people have reached out to me like can this be done it can absolutely be done and I think it's better and also because it's such an anti-inflammatory diet i f found my recovery to be very quick um even throughout all of my training i was good about stretching after a training session but i never had days where i was like oh i just need some ibuprofen i just need an ice bath i just need salt like uh, like salt baths i think that because keto is so um anti-inflammatory with the body i had a really quick recovery throughout the training and even after the race i um i stretched a little i was a little sore in the quads the next day but the next day after that i was totally back to normal which was oh, really I, really I cool. totally agree with you on the recovery thing um you know in combination with 
being so anti-inflammatory with the ketogenic diet and also training in the maftone pace sort of area um, you get this like this combo of just things that really work and i've i've never trained for an event and and got to the finish line without having some sort of injury but doing it in a ketogenic state i didn't have any injuries whatsoever and i you know and and i guess that was probably similar for you where you you get to the you get to the finish line you go i can't believe i just did that and i don't like my my ankles don't hurt my knees don't hurt my hips don't hurt it's just you know everything that you put your body through for the past six and six hours like it's incredible it really is it's it's so great um and uh you know so uh, you know the triathlon aside i i sort of like to uh, i I sort of like to ask people uh, questions on, um, you know, the ketogenic diet, uh, some of the books that they've read, some of the music that they listen to, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess that the first question is, what is your favorite keto food, and then maybe what helped you the most throughout your triathlon? Hmm. So my favorite keto foods or any kind of seafood, honestly. Um, from New Orleans, we eat tons of seafood all the time, and I'm really glad that that's something that I can continue to incorporate into my diet. Do, do you know what crawfish no, are? No, I by don't. Chance? I, I'm not sure if it's okay. maybe a different name for it in Australia, but or maybe I'm just like, I, I'm terrible with seafood, so well, I'm, I'm not too sure. <laughs> You, you might just not have, never have heard of it. They're um, indigenous to Louisiana and China, and I think that's it. So um, it's entirely possible you've just never seen them. But they're like little tiny lobsters, but they're super fatty, and they're so Ooh. delicious. So um, in New Orleans, people will have uh, – they'll boil them. They'll have crawfish boils, and this is like a party – Um, think like a barbecue or something, but it's crawfish. And so people will get a big sack of crawfish and boil them and all the friends and family will come over and it's like an all day event and you're just hanging out with the family having crawfish. Well, they're perfect for keto because it's, I mean, it's protein, but it's also very fatty. And so, um, that's my favorite keto food that I've been able to continue to incorporate. uh, That sounds really delicious. (laughs) I'm going to have to try some of that. It is. It's so good. Um, And in contrast to that, do you have anything that you particularly don't enjoy that is either keto-friendly or just food in general that you just don't like? You know... I have never liked butter in my oh, coffee. Really? Oh, really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I know that's such a staple for keto. I will do MCT oils. I will do um, heavy cream. But I have tried butter and even like a cacao butter, and I just do not like it in my coffee. <laughs> it's just one of those things that was never built to be put in coffee. <laughs> what was Dave Raspberry yeah, thinking? Yeah, it just it feels like greasy on my lips. No, I can't, I can't, ha- I can't handle it. You know what? I've been trying for so long to try and replicate the creaminess from butter in coffee or like dairy. And so, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. I just need to like get into the mindset of butter shouldn't be in coffee. <laughs> That's easier. It's so much easier. Then you can just put MCT oil and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and, and for anyone out there who's trying to avoid dairy, if you put gelatin in coffee and you blend it up in a high speed, mm. high speed blender it gets a really creamy taste vanessa spina put me onto that one um uh, so yeah if you're up for that try that one but um uh, are there any exercises that you enjoy the most i know you said swimming um is probably your your favorite uh type of exercise is there um you know any particular stroke or uh or maybe it's not swimming in general um 
I only started swimming again as a result of this triathlon training, and, and I do love it. But um, before that, I loved... I still love group exercise classes. I actually uh, used to work as a group exercise instructor for many years. Um, even though I was very overweight, I still was a great instructor. Um, I taught step classes and spinning and uh, weightlifting classes. And I still, my certification lapsed in 2011 and I haven't renewed it, but I still love going to those kinds of classes. I think for anybody who's a beginner in the gym or maybe not sure where to start in terms of exercising, I think group exercise is a really great way to go because you have an instructor who has a structured workout plan for you and they're watching your alignment, they're checking for safety, they have a, a warm-up and a cool-down and I think for people who don't exactly know what they want to do in the gym, I think a group exercise setting is a really mm, great place to start. it's something that you can sort of go and even if you don't have much experience, you can just go and do it and you're not going to get injured And because uh, <laughs> some, some things in the gym can be quite uh, prone to injury and so yeah, I definitely agree. I've, I, I remember going to a few aerobics classes uh, when I was younger and I I was looking around at all the people and it's like everyone's so hyped up i can't <laughs> i better get hyped up as well you know <laughs> um, and, and so in contrast to that is there any exercises that you think uh, are potentially uh not for you or um just something that you don't enjoy doing <laughs> you know what, that's 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 as probably the most common answer on yeah. the podcast <laughs> Oh, gosh. I feel like some people are just made to be runners, and I am just not. And physically, I can do it. I just don't enjoy it. And it's really a mental thing. I get so bored. Even if I'm listening to music, I'm listening to podcasts, after a certain amount of time, I'm just over it. (laughs) Um, And I don't know why that doesn't happen to me when I'm cycling. I could cycle for hours without listening to anything, and I'm just having a great time. And same with swimming. I could, I swim and I just like, I do long division in my head and I just enjoy it. But for some reason, when I run, I just, I have this like mental block. I hate it. (laughs) When I was running, um, I used to envision myself on a bike. That's how much I hated running. (laughs) (laughs) I would just run along and someone would pass me on a bike and I would just pretend like I was on a bike. (laughs) um, uh, And so... (laughs) Um, do you have any? Uh, do you take anything that helps with the ketogenic diet outside of prescription medication? So you were sort of uh, mentioning MCT oil before. Um, do you take MCT oil powder or just the oil version? Both, yeah. So um, whatever's most delicious, really. <laughs> um, my handle is Foodie Turns Levy. I definitely consider myself a foodie, and um, I know there are some people who. Like my husband, for example, he doesn't really care. If he's hungry, he'll eat. If he's not hungry, he won't eat. And if the food's good or not good, it doesn't matter. He just is the epitome of like eating for sustenance. I'm not like that. I enjoy food. I like for it to be good. And I find that there are many flavored um, MCT oils and MCT oil powders that are really, really tasty. And so I like to put those in my coffee. Um... I do also rely a lot on electrolytes. I think mm. that's something else I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention in terms of endurance athletics is the importance of electrolytes. Um, I do supplement calcium, zinc, magnesium, and potassium and sodium every day. Um, whether I'm training or not, I think those are super important. And 
they have effects that people don't exactly realize. So some people, obviously people know about like the twitching of the muscles or leg cramps or whatever, but even like headache, bloating, water retention are all affected by electrolytes. So I think that's really important mm, to and supplement. Uh, and um, it's something to supplement as a, as a whole thing as well, because uh, when you take a lot of magnesium, that can push your potassium out. And then if you take a lot of sodium, then mm. it pu- pushes other things out. And, yeah. uh, and is there a particular product that you usually use for electrolytes? So if I'm mixing it into uh, water or tea, I like um, Zip Fizz because it's caffeinated. Or there's also a Vega Hydrator Sport, and that one's not caffeinated. But I often just take um, I take it in pill form. So there's uh, one that's uh, Sports Salt branded, but it's just uh, capsules that have the electrolytes in it. So sometimes I don't want to drink something. I just want to take the, the capsules. Oh, that's cool. And I, I recently saw that um, Perfect Keto have got a whole bunch of uh, flavors mct oil powders out as well yes oh, those are yeah, the ones they're, i they're like so yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> they're so good yeah those and there's a, another brand oh, yeah. um burn butter that's a liquid mct but it, they have like a mocha flavor Ooh, one wow, it's okay. amazing that one too. um and yes. so ah, are, there, are, there, are there any books or videos that you have recently watched listened to or um you know remembered that have inspired you Um, yes, but not in a ketogenic fashion. No, that's fashion. totally Is fine. That okay? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've recently fallen in love with this author, um, Haruki Murakami. I don't know no. if you're familiar with him, but he's a, a Japanese author and it's, uh, his work is fiction and it's, it's really kind of surrealist and it's just so beautiful. I, I read one of his short stories and, um, then I discovered he has a ton of novels. I feel like I'm really late to this party, but, um, his work is just so lovely. It's like a, just a, a zoomed out view of humanity and what ties us all together. And it, it's just lovely. I, I like for, if I'm reading or if I'm watching TV, I like for it to be a departure mm. from my real world. I don't like, you know, dramas and scary movies and sad things. I, I like to to live outside of the current existence when I'm enjoying some kind of fiction form. So um, Haruki Murakami, I love his books. I can't and recommend so if, them highly uh, enough. So if someone wanted to start reading one of his books, which one would you recommend? Oh, there's so many. Um... Let me think. He has a collection of short stories that might be a good place to start because uh, The Elephant Vanishes. Sorry, that's the name of the book. It's a collection of short stories, and um, they're, they're just lovely. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to find that because, yeah, I, I tend to listen to a lot of fiction all the time. Uh, sorry, nonfiction all the time, and, um, and your brain mm. can just go into this over-analytic state where... <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like so, you definitely need that that power down, or you know, just somewhere where you can be in another world for a little while. <laughs> yeah, um, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I was a musician for a long time, um, and uh, you are as well, which is awesome, <laughs> which is really cool. Uh, what sort of music mm. do you listen to? Um, you know, your sort of classic sort of stuff, like you go back to all the time. And then, is there any musicians that have recently inspired you? Mm, so music is such a big part of my life and I feel like it's hard to say like this is my one favorite band my one favorite genre even because I like so many things and it really just kind of depends on the mood I'm in but the stuff that's classic to me or that I always come back to I'm really a rock girl at heart I love Metallica I love Muse 
Pearl Jam, Chili Peppers, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, that kind of stuff. Like, I could go back to that forever oh, and ever. so Ian. good. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I've seen Metallica in concert many, many times. Muse as well. Oh, they're so good. Um, and I just... Uh, fortunately, these bands are still putting out m- new records, and so that's really great as well. But, yeah, there's just something really powerful about, like, rocking out, and especially when you're working out and you're, like, cycling or you're running and you're just, like, ah, oh, you feel so strong. Yeah, I love that feeling. especially, I think. They're just, like, uh, uh, their stadium rock sort of feel is just incredible. <laughs> it's incredibly yeah. driving. Yeah. It is, it is. And, like, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I also really love... Um, Cirque du Soleil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of their um, shows, but their music is just incredible. And so that's kind of like the opposite end of my spectrum. If I'm driving, if I like something relaxing or soothing, I love Cirque du Soleil soundtracks. Oh, They're that's usually cool. Really I've never good. actually thought about listening to one of their soundtracks because you go and you, you watch all the performance and you leave and you're like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe they yeah. did that flip or whatever it was. But then the music is actually the yeah. part that draws you in and and creates all the suspension so and everything. Yeah. So, ah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so the last question I like to ask is usually on the topic of expertise. And, uh, you know, for some people that's different. But I think uh, you'd be very applicable to answer this one. And, it, you know, for anyone who's looking to start the ketogenic diet after going through weight loss surgery, would you have, uh, you know, what would be your, your big tips and, and what would be something that, you can really shed some light on because uh, for for a lot of people they may not be um, they may not have uh, thought about doing weight loss surgery or you know it's it, it's it's a it's a difficult question for some people but uh, it, do you have any um, thoughts on that for for the people who are listening to this podcast? Sure. Um. I mean, the thing about weight loss surgery is that it's a really good jump start to a healthy diet or lifestyle Mm. when you need the extra push but it's good to keep in mind that it is not Mm. cosmetic surgery so it's not like you go in fat and you come out skinny it's not liposuction um it really it it takes a lot of work and even though in in my case i had the vertical sleeve gastrectomy they reduce the size of your stomach um all it really does is it makes you get full feel full quickly at the beginning for maybe like six to eight months after that you're kind of back to being a normal person and even within those six to eight months if you're full you can just wait 30 minutes and eat again and eat again so it's important to remember that something like weight loss surgery is not mm-hmm. a fix it's just a tool to have in your arsenal along with other things that you enjoy and that you that are part of a healthy lifestyle that you still have to incorporate discipline and learning about yourself and if you're an emotional eater or you know any issues that you have with your relationship with food are not going to be fixed with weight loss surgery um sometimes are even made worse because you know sometimes you see people going into something like weight loss surgery and and they're really unhappy with themselves or with their relationship and that is what has caused them to overeat and and reach um obesity and you know i'm simplifying but if by having weight loss surgery and losing some weight that doesn't fix unhealthy relationships it doesn't fix an an unhealthy perspective of self and so i think it's really important to really address the root cause of the relationship with food or perception of self address the root of the issue and then 
healthy habits will come as opposed to trying to lose weight and hoping that that will fix all things mm. because it really mm, yeah, doesn't. That's, a, that's such a positive outlook on it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, everyone has a relationship with food. So, so really learning about that and learning about yourself along the way um, is, is important for everyone. And so that, that's something that I think uh, for me when I first went to keto, uh, I realized that I could eat, uh, I could overeat quite quickly because uh, it's a lot of calorie dense mm-hmm. foods. Um, and so, yeah, really understanding what it is that you're doing and how, how to best, you know, navigate that, that, that type and food and whatever, um, is, is really important for everyone to learn. So, so, uh, finally, where can people find you? Where can people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about you and, and, uh, maybe get in contact with, uh, how you did the, the triathlon and, and some of the expertise you have in there, what is the best place to get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a YouTube channel and it's uh, foodie turned sleevey and I have been documenting this entire thing for more than two years now. I started making weekly videos, a month before my surgery, um, which was in October of 2016. And for the first year after my surgery, I documented every week, just my weight loss and how I was feeling and things that happened physically and emotionally and things like that. After that, I went to monthly weigh-ins, but then uh, obviously other things happen in your life, right? It's not just (laughs) your whole life isn't weight loss. So um, I kind of started documenting other things when I really dove into keto, when I started training for the triathlon, all of these have become like separate series on my YouTube channel. Um, I also have a a series where if I ever meet anyone from the community, I do a quick uh, 60 second interview. So um, a lot of the folks from Instagram that I've met or YouTube that I've met in person at meetups or just in passing due to travel or whatever I've uh, I have some interviews with them as well so I have a, a, a several different series on my YouTube channel and um, and I've been documenting there I also have a my Instagram page it's also foodie turn sleevey and um, you know that's just more pop-up just the things that I eat and the people I meet and what I'm doing so um, pretty good about responding to Instagram DMs. So if anyone wants to get in touch oh, with that's me, that's awesome. probably the best And I way. think we connected actually over uh, Instagram DM as well. So definitely good mm-hmm. at responding. <laughs> um. Yes, it's actually, uh, I my coach had signed me up to do this, uh, this really long bike ride, um, like a race, but it was a tour and it was scheduled to rain that day actually. And I remember I reached out to you. I was like, Aaron, what do I do if it's raining and I have to go out on my bike? And you were so kind in responding. And actually that day it did not rain. Um, but then on my actual triathlon day, it did rain. And I remembered your oh, words. Oh, that's of wisdom, so cool. So I, I don't that. actually remember what I said. Was it basically like wear, wear clear sunglasses or something? Yes, wear clear sunglasses, um, which what I did, I didn't have clear sunglasses, but I just oh, yeah. didn't wear my sunglasses at all because I didn't want, you know, rain yeah. in on my glasses. You also suggested shorts that weren't very padded because yep. I wouldn't want to yep. be sitting in a puddle all day. And that was very smart of you. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've experienced. And you're riding along and it's just, it's no longer yeah. raining and you've just got this wet, wet nappy that you're sitting in. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, and so yeah. your YouTube channel and your Instagram will be linked in the show notes of this episode. So if you're looking to head over and follow Chella, then uh, definitely do so by checking out the uh, links in your podcast app, wherever you can find that. Um, but uh, I just wanted to say it's been really fantastic talking to you. Um, I, I just think 
everything that you have to say i i totally agree with and and we're on the same page for a lot of a lot of this stuff which is so cool and it's so great to actually um know that uh, i've helped you a little bit along the way but uh, you know a lot of that has been your work which is fantastic and to be able to finish a triathlon and uh and and yeah it's just it i'm so proud that's so awesome <laughs> it's so great <laughs> thank you so much well i also think that you're doing really incredible work for the community and i feel like i speak on behalf of everyone when i say thank you because really the content that you provide is very valuable oh, so thank you so thank much you for all you and do. Um, i'm sure we'll be speaking soon Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.